I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Biblical Principles of Governing the Eyes. Uh, this is lesson number 21, and uh, the theme of this lesson will be there is a direct connection between how we use our eyes and revival and harvest and our involvement in that revival and harvest. While, while my eyes are carnally fellowshipping with things that are contrary to the word of the Lord, my soul is dying spiritually. However, by not giving in to looking at and or watching the worthless and then using that redeemed time to turn my eyes on his word, I can be spiritually alive. The eyes are the windows of the soul going both ways. The eyes determine what I let into my soul. And the eyes reflect. When I look into a person's eyes, their eyes reflect what's in their soul. Our eyes are very directly connected to our relationship with God. The scripture talks about those with closed eyes and stopped ears and a heart that's hardened that uh, they cannot hear, and they cannot be converted, and they cannot be saved. Jesus quoted that from the Old Testament. Uh, But at the same time, if I let the Lord open my eyes spiritually and open my ears spiritually and give me a heart that can receive, believe, and uh, act upon that word, then I can walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can be saved. Paul talked about this, and uh, excuse me, not Paul, David talked about this in Psalms 119, beginning with verse 33. He said, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And then in verse 37 of Psalms 119, David said this, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Turn away from, turn away my eyes. David is praying to the Lord for the Lord's empowerment to turn away his eyes from be, with, withholding or beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. So there's a direct connection according to the Holy Ghost, the divine inspiration of God, and his prayer through King David. Direct connection of, between my eyes not looking at the worthless, the useless, and me being quickened in God's way. As I have done several times, just for emphasis sake and for better understanding sake, just want to look at a few ways that uh, this verse, Psalms 119.37, has been translated. New Living Translation says, Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. 
That's a that's powerful. The Bible in basic English says, let my eyes be turned away from what is false and give me life in your ways. Notice, notice the direct connection between not spending time looking at things that are of no value. They may not be quote-unquote sinful things, but are they profitable things to my soul? Are they edifying things to my soul? Do they really add anything to my life? Did I just flush that time down the toilet, never to get any benefit from it? Or am I using that time wisely so that I can uh, draw closer to the Lord? So Some people, their attitude is, well, I'm wasting my time or I, I'm, I'm throwing away time when I pray and go to church because I'll get no benefit out of that. It's this other stuff that I get joy and whatever out of. Well, I, that's called religion. That has nothing to do with true Christianity. It certainly is the opposite of being biblically apostolic. Because, again, as I've said several times, David said it and Peter quoted it in Acts chapter 2. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? If I really believe that, then what am I going to be doing with my time? I'm surely not going to be doing things that I can't be involved uh, in the presence of the Lord with and that the presence of the Lord is not going to be involved with me doing because it's it's fellowshipping with his presence that brings me fullness of joy. And it's being his conduit for his power and authority, the exercising of his right hand, that is pleasure forevermore. But do we believe that? Do we believe that prayer and worship and reading and studying his word, that's drudgery? And the world, what the world has to offer us is fun and, uh, and exciting? No, no, that's only because. The only reason anybody could have that attitude is because they've never been deep enough into God. They've never been deep enough into God. Because if you, if you commit yourself to the Lord, spend time in his presence and go deep enough into him, and you talk to him and he talks to you and explains things to you, let me tell you something. That is life. That is really living. One more time from the easy to read Bible. Uh, don't let me look at worthless things. Help me live your way. What a simple but direct and powerful prayer. Uh, God's words translation tra- it reads this way. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Give me a new life in your ways. The New Century Version says, Keep me from looking at worthless things. Let me live by your word. The New English Translation Bible says, Turn my my eyes away from what is worthless. Revive me with your 
word. Wow. Wow. There it is. There it is. Clearly stated in today's English. Clearly stated that there is a direct connection with how I use my eyes and whether or not I am participating in a living, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A direct connection. Direct connection. Whether it's what I'm reading or what I'm shopping for or what I am uh, uh, looking at for pleasure or entertainment or what, what I'm, where I'm surfing on the net. How am I using my eyes? How? How? I've heard so many people say, well, I don't have time for this and that and the other. I don't have time. I don't, I don't have time for a lot of prayer. I don't have time for a lot of study. Uh, it would be shocking to us if we would be committed enough to just track our time by minutes that we spend doing whatever for one week, for one week, and then come back and analyze that and see what we're actually giving our 24 hours a day to. That would be really an amazing thing. And it would be probably very shocking, disturbing, and disappointing uh, if you have any desire to be a child of God. It would be very disappointing when you see that you have believed the lie. I don't have time. I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. It's just a question of what I I use that time for because we live in a day where people actually work less hours, less time, per day on average, than man has ever worked. So what are we doing with the rest of that time? The average person doesn't sleep 8, 10 hours a day. They don't do that. Oh, well, I I got up late this morning. Yeah, we got up late because we went to bed late. We went to sleep late. Why? Because of what we're doing with our eyes. Very, very, very little Percentage-wise, is it because of people's use of their ears? Oh, yeah, I know people, use, they, they listen to music. But now, people don't just listen to music. They watch music videos. So even while they're listening to their music, they're, they're watching that video. And, and I'm not saying all music videos are wrong. It's not a matter of addressing any specific thing as being right or wrong. We're talking about whether or not it's profitable. Is there profit in it? Is there profit in it? Is there benefit in it? Is my soul edified in it? And finally, uh, one more, one more translation, the New International Reader's Version. Turn my eyes away from things that are worthless. Keep me alive as you have promised. Well, he can't keep me alive spiritually, contrary to my own will, and it's my will that chooses how I use my time. See, that, that, that right there is uh, uh, my time because it's my life, really. Then the, what the Bible says about I am not my own, I've been bought with a price. You are not your own, you've been bought with a price. I guess that's not in the Bible, or if it is, it really doesn't mean that, right? Because we continue to have this possessive attitude toward my life and my time. And 
I deserve. I deserve. That's, that's our attitude. The word translated vanity in the uh, King James Version, according to Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, means evil as destructive, literally ruin, or morally, especially guile, figuratively, uh, idolatry as false or subjective, uselessness as deceptive, objective, also adverbally in vain. So emptiness, vanity, falsehood, idolatry. Keep, keep my eyes from beholding idolatry. Keep my eyes from beholding worthlessness. Keep my eyes from holding uh, emptiness. Praise God. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing the kind of money they people they pay people to lie for a living? Oh, well, they're just pretending. They're acting. They're acting. Really? Then why is it when we're watching them act, we get into the movie and it they are who they're acting to us in that movie. And we, we take sides. We're for them or against them. We want this girl, this boy to get together, this man, this woman. We, we want them to find love. We get invested in them. And we're, we get investing in something that's not even true. It's not even true. <laughs> okay. The complete word study dictionary says of this word vanity, uh, a masculine noun meaning emptiness, vanity, evil, ruin, uselessness, deception, worthless, without result, fraud, or deceit. The primary meaning of the word is deceit, lie, or falsehood. God used the word to indicate that he punished Judah in vain. The word is used by the psalmist to state that all activities such as laboring, guarding, and rising early, and staying up late, and toiling for food were useless without God's assistance, according to Psalms 127, 1 and 2. In the Ten Commandments, the word is used to describe what is prohibited in Deuteronomy 5 and 20. The word is used in Proverbs to indicate that which the author desires to be kept away from him. And in this case, falsehood and lies, according to Proverbs 30 and 8. Idols were declared worthless with the usage of the noun in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, 15. These idols were those that led the people of God to forget God. In other words, uh, yeah, they were, they were, they were idols and they were false and they were deceptive, but people worshiping an idol because others do that. That leads us away to God and call from God and causes us to forget Him. You know, we'll put, kids will put posters of some athletic star on the wall because of what they can do with a ball of some kind in their hands or how fast they can run or whatever it is. And the character and lifestyle of that individual, uh, it doesn't matter, does it? Not if they're good at what they do athletically. They're a hero. It doesn't matter if they're the most upstanding citizen, the most faithful husband or wife or, 
or whatever, uh, they can be a scumbag, but they're going to stay on that wall because of how fast they can run, or how well they catch the ball or hit the ball or throw the ball or whatever it may be. Shoot the ball. Where's the idolatry in that? When did we forget these people are human beings? At what point did the opinion of actors, actresses, athletes uh, matter? Why, why should their opinion matter any more than my opinion? What, 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 what is it about them that makes their opinion so valuable to us? Think about this a minute. I'm not speaking against people here. I'm speaking against a principle. Somebody lies, pretends for a living. What's pretending? It's not true. It's not true. Or somebody performs some kind of physical feat well, repetitively. At what point does that make that person's character and lifestyle something to be copied? You let one of them wear a new pair of uh, of, of athletic shoes, and that particular style is going to be sold out. You let them recommend something. Why do you think these guys get paid millions upon millions of dollars, men and women, to endorse a product? Because people will buy what they endorse. Why? Why? Again, I'm talking about principle here, not people. Why? Why is it we are affected by these people? Why is it that we can be influenced by them? Why is it that we give any credence to their opinion versus some guy on the street or woman on the street? Why? Why? Because there are our idols. There are idols. Our idols. And what, so what do we do? So you're saying it's wrong to 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 follow sports, it, it's wrong to watch a game. I didn't say any of that. I said, what happens in here? How do I allow that to affect me in here? When does it stop being a game and becomes a matter of their influencing our lives? Telling us what we should think, what we shouldn't think, who we should vote for. Who, uh, how we should look, what we should eat, what we should drink, what we should drive. Seriously? Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> if we are truly revived, then we will always be involved with what Jesus is doing. On some level, to some degree, how can we not have either in our conscious or subconscious mind the focus of Jesus? If Jesus is in here and he cannot change, and he came to seek and save the lost, if Jesus is really in here, then I'm a conduit for him to seek and save the lost through me. He said, John uh, or Luke uh, 19.10, For I've come to seek and save that which was lost. And the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 and 8. And Colossians 1 says, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. So, and without the spirit of Christ, 
Romans 8, I'm none of his. So if, if Christ is in me, and he cannot change, and he came to seek and save the lost, and I'm not, I don't have seeking and saving the lost as a priority of my life, so that Christ, living in and through me, can do what he came to earth to do? No, no, he, we don't have time to let Christ be Christ through us and seek and save the lost because we have to pursue the satisfaction of the eyes. We have to pursue the satisfaction of the eyes. God help us. Don't, don't, don't you think we need to repent of some things? Don't you? All of us, all of us need to repent of some things. One sure way to remain unrevived is to continue allowing my eyes to dwell on the worthless. Seeing or dwelling on that which is empty will always make me empty. Seeing and dwelling on that which is empty, worthless, and vain will always result in me becoming empty, worthless, vain. Dwelling on that which is an idol will always eventually make me idolatrous. Bishop Jim Dillon once said to me that worthless here means void of righteousness so much that it affects my decisions, my opinions, and concepts of life, my character, and my guide to relationships. My hairstyle, is that changed in the last three, four, five, ten years to fit anything resembling what some athlete or actor wears, how they wear their hair? Am I following a fad or a fashion? Where did I get that from? There is a direct connection between our eyes and revival. If you let uh, allow me to, I want to read to you uh, in closing this lesson from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, starting there. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. If there's ever been a time that resembles exactly those conditions, it is this day today. When the scripture says he saw the multitudes, it it doesn't mean that he just processed an image of a crowd and okay his brain said oh that's a crowd oh okay no when the rest of the verse clearly makes it or makes it very clear that the him seeing the multitude was much deeper was much more profound and impacting on him and ultimately on them than simply Registering the fact, oh, here's a crowd. No. When he saw the multitude and he, he observed them, he 
watched how they lived, how they were acting. Uh, he, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Why? Because he realized that they were, they were so weary with life. They were about to faint. That they were so involved trying to find something of meaning and value to, uh, to participate in and they weren't finding it. And because of that, they were scattered. There was no, there was just no order. There was no, there was no peace or anything about their, their lives. It's chaos. Just get on the interstate and just watch the cars going to and fro. You ever wondered where are all these people going? Why, why, why is everyone out there? Okay. I know why I'm out here, but why are they out here? Why? What, what's this all about? Why is, why are people running to and fro? Why? Because we're scattered abroad. We're scattered abroad. We live over here and work over here and people that live over here work over here and, and it's all just every day there's this just, just. And he said the reason was they were like this. They were fainting. And they were scattered. It's because they were like sheep with no shepherd. There was no direction to their life. Shepherds give direction to a flock of sheep. Not just protection. Not just correction. Not just provision. But direction. Shepherds give direction. And lives without direction and without focus wander. Wander aimlessly. Pursuing this and that, looking for this and that. Without no, without any purpose, without any direction. Jesus' response was profound. Some of those powerful verses in the entire Bible. Verse 37, then saith he, then, after seeing them and being moved with compassion on them and realizing how desperate they were, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. It's not I got all these people, I got nothing for them to do because there's nobody out there that wants to be saved. That's the big lie. That's the big lie. These people are fainting. They're scattered. They're aimless. They're directionless. They're unfocused. Their whole life is about going from fun to fun with gray depths and valleys of despair and depression and hopelessness of varying degrees in between their experiences of fun. No purpose to life. Nothing profitable. Just the clock ticking and the calendar pages turning. His problem is the fields are white already to harvest. He said, look and see that the fields are white already to harvest. He looked. He saw that. That's exactly what happened in the previous verse. He was looking and saw the fields are white already to harvest. But I don't have time for that. I don't have time to to, to teach a, a Bible study. I may miss my favorite shows. I may miss the game if I, if I teach a Bible study. If I, if I witness to somebody, I, I may embarrass myself. They may reject me. And so I'd rather them go to hell for eternity than me risk being embarrassed. Right. Then he, he commanded us to pray. The next verse starts with the word pray. That word is in the imperative tense of command. It was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a request. 
It was a command. Pray ye therefore. Therefore is a, a concluding conjunctive. Concluding conjunction. Everything that was just said in these previous verses are, is summed up, and here's the conclusion he came to that. Pray ye, or we would say, therefore, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The Greek word there, send forth, is ekbalo. It is literally translated eject. It is to force out by authority. So Jesus was telling us to pray. Pray. I command you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would forcibly eject his laborers who are not in the field out into the field because the time is short and eternity is forever and souls are lost. Oh, that's right. We don't have time. We're too busy on social media. We're too busy surfing the web. We're too busy on YouTube or watching our favorite video. We're too busy watching what the, the latest viral Instagram post is. We're too busy with the latest movie. We're too busy watching the seasons of our favorite TV show. We don't have time. We don't have time for the lost. Just let them go to hell. I'm busy. Really? Really? Well, the one with nail prints in his hands, scar in his side, face has been beaten to a pulp, a back that looks like a proud field, a plowed field, he's already paid the price for their salvation. And he told those who would obey him to pray that whatever it took, through whatever means necessary, that his laborers, those that call themselves his, would be forced out into the harvest field. Forced out of where? Forced out of the comfort and, that we have and the safety we have in hiding inside our church buildings, hiding in secret, living our Christianity in a closet. And we don't even consider that's what we're doing and how we're living. But why? Because we're too busy using our eyes watching vanity. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that God and speak the word of grace upon you and upon me that we might find the conviction and the faith and by his grace the commitment to truly have him be the focus of our lives so that wherever he's going, we go, and whatever he's doing, we do, and whatever he's saying, we say, and to whomever he's speaking to, we speak, that we might be a part of his kingdom, a part of his plan, a part of his purpose, a part of his life, a part of him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grant it to be so. Amen. God bless you.